Welcome to the Northridge Church Podcast, a weekly rewind of Sunday's talk. Well, this morning I was telling John um, earlier uh, that I'm very, very excited about this morning's message. And we come to the end of uh, our three weeks of looking at um, spiritual warfare. We call it the invisible war because that's exactly what it is. It's a, it's a war that takes place um, within, within our spirits. Now, uh, this morning we're going to kind of look at this from a different angle than probably has been presented before when it comes to spiritual warfare. And I hope that you can see through the use of Scripture um, that there are sometimes we miss a certain element, a certain angle when it comes to how do we deal with spiritual battles that we face on a, on a daily basis. Now, no matter what generation you were born in, there's these moments um, in life that was just like one of these, I know where I was at when this moment happened, right? Um, there are very few left in the world today that can tell us um, what they were doing exactly in the afternoon uh, of December 7th, 1941, um, when the nation was kind of taken um, back from a surprise attack from, from the Japanese. Um, some of us in this room can, can tell us exactly what you're doing on the afternoon of November 22nd, 1963, when you heard that JFK was shot. It was just emblazoned your memory where, where you were doing and what was going on in your life. Um, for me, when I was a, a teenager, uh, January 28th, 1986, you know, stands out in my mind. We, you know, we're, we're sitting there in a classroom watching a TV uh, because the first teacher is going to go to outer space. And, and right before us, the, 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 the Challenger shuttle explosion right there. That, that, was, that was seared in my, in my memory, especially when the teacher goes, okay, that's enough of that. Right? And we went off to something else. Um, about 20 years ago, uh, 9-11 happened. And I can guarantee you, every single person that was alive in this room um, 20 years ago know exactly what you're doing on September 11th around 9 a.m. in the morning. It's, I mean, I remember exactly what was going on when I, when I, I watched those planes um, go into the, to the Twin Towers. And so on September 10th, we all went to bed uh, not knowing that uh, there was an enemy that had been spending years planning our demise planning to bring terror, planning to um, bring destruction and to bring death and chaos into our midst. You know, on September 11th, we were just caught off guard, right? That there was that enemy out there plotting our demise. One of the things that I believe 9-11 has taught us as a nation is that, you know, we are no longer um, safe. You know, we usually had this bubble. We believe that there was this bubble around us because we had the oceans on both sides, right? Um, but now, nowadays, none of that is possible. I mean, any day, any moment, um, there can be an attack um, from whether it be an old enemy or whether it be a new enemy. About 9-11, it was a, a new enemy. We, we, we barely knew who these people were. We didn't think they had a beef with us, but they surely did. And so from 9-11 forward, we've been, we've been on the alert for that, that next attack that's going to happen to us. Now, I don't remember this or not, but the, for the first 10 years... After 9-11, um, we, were, we were under this color-coded 
threat level, right? You're right. And so we had the it went all the way from green um, to red. We never were ever, ever, ever in the green, right? But for the most part, we stayed in the yellow phase, um, the yellow alert, meaning that an attack um, could happen at any time. So everyone be on the alert. Sometimes we get an orange alert, meaning that, the, that they discovered that there might be attack coming our way. But for the most part, for all those years, we were, we were just being very cautious that, you know what, it can happen at any time. Now, if we were to, to color code our, our spiritual lives, um, we would always be at the, the, yellow, the yellow level, right? That at any time, there can be a spiritual attack that would come upon us unaware. Now, the Bible makes it very clear to us <clears throat> that there's more than meets the eye, that there's more to this world about us and the understanding of what this world's all about more than what we can perceive with our senses. There, the Bible makes it very clear there, there are two spheres, there's two worlds um, that are going on at the very, very same time um, parallel to one another. There is the natural world in which we live in, and then there is also the invisible spiritual realm that's all around us. And in that spiritual realm that's all around us, we have an enemy. And that enemy's dis- full, dis- full desire is to destroy our faith and our hope in God through Jesus Christ. The Bible teaches us that there is a spiritual realm that is just as real as this physical realm. In fact, when you read through scriptures, you will see the scriptures declare what what is real, what we cannot see, and sometimes what we cannot perceive with our senses. But everything that takes place in the supernatural realm has everything to do with what goes on in our daily lives. You see, when we go through life with discouragements of all kinds, when when fears assail us, when disappointments happen to us, when things don't go as we had planned, when we are buffeted by discouragements and depression, and sometimes we go through seasons of great grief and, and doubt and despair, if we didn't understand from a biblical perspective what was really going on behind us, we would think that Nothing made sense. It's all futile, this world. But when you, when you take it from, from the sense that, that everything that's going on in the supernatural realm is there to buffet you in regards to your faith in Jesus Christ, it all makes sense. And so what the Bible does for us in a, in a very great way, it begins to peel back the cover of the supernatural realm in order for us to understand that we have an enemy before us, an enemy that, that day and night he does not um, quit in order to bring about ongoing defeat and ongoing discouragement and ongoing despair and ongoing grief in your life. And the reason is, is that he hates you deeply. Now we have to become wise we have to become wise to this. And, and half the battle is understanding that we, that you, have a great enemy. Now, the Bible declares to us who this enemy is. The Bible gives him a name. His name is the devil 
or, or Satan. Sometimes he's called Satan. In 1 Peter 5, chapter 5, verse 8 and 9, it tells us this as, as believers. It says, to be sober-minded, to be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. But we are to resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of sufferings are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. And so we, we, we see here um, that Satan's up to something. And he, Satan, what Satan's up to, he's up to destroying you. He's up to wreak havoc in your life. He's up to devour you and your faith in God. Now, Paul also speaks about this great adversary in Ephesians chapter 6. And oftentimes when we talk about spiritual warfare, when we talk about our enemy, this is the passage that we go to. Um, for understanding. And this is what Paul says in Ephesians 6, verse, verse 10. He says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and put on the armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. That is exactly what you and I are up against every single moment of our life. Now, half the battle can be won in regards to our belief in the realness of the devil. Now, in our highly educational, humanistic um, uh, culture that we live in, we tend to fall into two, two different ditches in regards to um, the devil. One is that, A, we, we tend to not want to believe that he's actually real. And the other dimension, there are the other ditch is that we make him a comical figure. That he's just this goofball, you know, uh, running around in red tights with a, with a pitchfork. And both of those viewpoints are very dangerous to those of us who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ. You see, the scriptures make it very clear over and over again who Satan is. It declares to us that he's literal, that he's personal, that he's living, that he's breathing, that he is evil in all of his essence, and he is a murderous creature of tremendous intellect and craftiness. And because of that, we are, we are, we are challenged not to attempt to defeat him on our own, but to use all of the weapons at our defense, all the spiritual weapons at our defense, as Paul talks about in Ephesians chapter 6. We are to put on the very armor of God. We are to look to God and our Savior for help in regards to the spiritual battle. You see, he is after us. And for thousands of years, beginning with the fall, you know, in the garden between Adam and Eve, and Satan, Satan doing his, his craftiness to get them to sin against God, get them to not believe in the promises of God. Then Satan declared war on man and God declared war on Satan. And so for thousands of years, though Satan was, was, was defeated at the cross of Jesus Christ, he still has been given freedom to go around and be himself until his final judgment. I wish we had time to talk about that this morning, but we don't. But here, here's the two primary activities of Satan um, and is this. Number one, it is to thwart the very will of God, the very sovereignty of God on this earth. 
And number two, it is to unseat our confidence in Jesus Christ. You see, we have these promises that God has given to us through Jesus Christ and, and Satan's uh, to attack those things so that we can never truly live out the promises of God in our life. Now, though the devil is a very wily creature and though he has some power, he is not equal in power to God. In fact, his power is limited by God. And so, therefore, we ought to be sober to this reality. We ought to be sober to the reality that there is a, a real devil, that he is our real enemy. He is the adversary to our faith. But we, we must be sober to the fact that he has tremendous power, limited though it may be, more power than us. Listen to this. We should not be afraid of him. We should not be afraid to stand firm in our faith. We need to understand who he is. We need to understand according to, to Paul in Ephesians 6 to understand his very tactics, his very schemes towards us so that we might be men and women who overcome any trial, any tribulation, any fear, any doubt, any grief, anything that holds us back from truly being men and women who enjoy the freedom of Jesus Christ. That is what is at stake this morning. Now, one of the most famous books out there, and I would say almost every military leader has read this book, and it's called The Art of War. And it was by a man named Sun Zi, and he was a fifth, fifth century, um, lived in the fifth century before Christ. Um, he was a, a Chinese military strategist. And this book just has tremendous insight into how to win battles. And this is what he says in one of his quotes, and I love it. He says, if you know the enemy and you know yourself, you need not to fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer defeat. And if you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. You see, I believe that, that Christians, for the most part, fall in the sense, they may understand a little bit about Satan, but they fully forget who they truly are. And that just kind of, when I, when I read that, when I read that, that statement just kind of stood out to me. If you know who you are, <laughs> you, you don't need to fear the results. If you know who you fully are in Jesus Christ, you don't have to fear the spiritual battles that you have to face in your life no matter what those may be. The scriptures show us if we know who we are and if we are very aware of Satan's craftiness, there is no reason why we cannot live a very successful spiritual life. And so the scriptures tell us to stand firm. And, and, and I believe that for the most part, we, we believe that. We just need to stand firm against when any time he comes to attack. And awfully, oftentimes when that happens is this, is that we kind of cower. or We kind of just kind of stand still. We kind of just take the blows as they come. And, and I believe that sometimes in the very beginning of a spiritual battle that takes place in our life, we're we called to make a stand firm in a defensive posture. 
But I believe that's half the understanding of what it means to stand firm. I also believe that we can stand firm um, in, the, in the truth of God's word. We can stand firm in, in, in what God can do for us and understanding his power and his ability to help us. But we're also called to stand firm and be on the offense against the father of all lies. And so when he buffets us with lies of all kinds, when he tells you that, that you are no good, when he accuses you for the sins that you may have committed, when he tells you that God doesn't love you anymore, that God, God doesn't care for you anymore, that God has abandoned you, that God is not with you. When you go through times of great, great grief and you think there is never any end to this dark night of my soul. And when you're, when you're at your place where you say, where is my God? These lies begin to assail you. And oftentimes we cower back and we're weak in our ability to fight back. And, and sometimes even, even the best of us succumb to these lies. And I believe, and we're going to see here in a few seconds, that I believe that it is time for us to understand that we are better off on the offense in these spiritual battles and in these invisible battles that you and I face on a daily basis instead of always being on the defensive posture. I believe when we endeavor to win spiritual battles from an offensive position, and that comes when we fully believe, fully believe in our heart, all that the scriptures say about us in Jesus Christ. Every promise that God has declared for you and I because of Jesus' work on our behalf on the cross, that is the moment that we can address the lies that assail our hearts. Are you guys with me this morning? I hope you are. Because I, I'm, I'm telling you, this can unlock um, the potential of you um, growing in your faith. So this is where I take this statement from about us being on the offense in regards to spiritual battles we face. There is a scene that John witnesses in heaven and it's recorded for us in Revelation chapter 12. And when I saw this, um, I, it, was just, it just struck me um, because what we see in, in Revelation 12 is the fact that we are men and women who are overcomers. Overcomers, right? We're, we're not overcomers just one time. No, we are continually overcomers in Jesus Christ. And so there's this great scene, John's witnessing, and this loud voice. Now, this, this voice is not the voice of God. Um, this is not the voice of Jesus. There's this, this de declaration in heaven, and this is what the declaration says. And I heard a loud voice saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come, for the accuser of our brothers have been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. I just wanna I just wanna stop there for just a moment. We're gonna pause there for a second, because I want us to understand this one thing. This is what Satan does every single day before the very throne of God. He stands and he makes these accusations to God. And, he, and he's, what he's trying to get God to do, he's trying to get God to turn his back on us, right? He's throwing out these accusations. Look at, the, look at this one. He sinned. Uh, look at this woman. Um, she doesn't trust you anymore. 
Look, look at him. He, he gave up on you, God. Uh, look at her. She has such a, a, a tepid love towards you. Look what you've done for this person, God. You, you blessed him. And, and what does he do? He just thumbs his nose at you. Every single day, Satan appears before God on your behalf to accuse you of all your failures, of all your weaknesses, of your lack of faith, of your lack of devotion, of your lack of love for God. Every single little thing wrong with you, he is amplifying it before the very throne of God. He is the father of lies. He's making things up, right? And I, I, I think it's fascinating to me that, that in the scene that God does not respond to Satan. God does not take him on with his lies. For God knows that this is a defeated foe. So right now, this morning, as we're sitting here, all wonderful, um, looking beautiful out there, all of you looking very beautiful. Satan's hurling accusations against you. Now, these accusations that, that he hurls before the throne of God, he also hurls into your very heart. How many of you on a daily basis um, just are so down on yourself? I can never be good enough. God just doesn't love me. I, I wish I could be better. I wish I could do this. I wish I could do that. All these great, uh, you know, all this, this failure that's happened in my life is because I've done something wrong. If I wasn't such an idiot, this wouldn't have happened. If I was a better, you know, communicator, this wouldn't have happened. If I was a better, you know, if I showed my love and affection um, for my wife, my marriage would be better. I mean, I'm telling you, there's a lot of these accusations that just flood our hearts and, and for the most part, their lies. So God does not give in to Satan's all his accusations, Right? So, so what, what stops Satan? What, what strips him of these, of these lies, these accusations that he has for us? What, what disarms him of these lethal powers? Well, it's found in verse 11 of, of, of Revelation 12. And, and this is what happens. And the, and the same voice is speaking. He says, and they, who are they? You and I, all the saints of God, right? They have conquered him, conquered him. We have conquered Satan. How in the world do we conquer Satan? By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they loved not their lives even unto death. Did you get that? You no longer have to be the whipping post of Satan. You can turn the tables on him at any time. Right? I don't mean to yell and shout, but I'm getting very excited this morning. Because from, from the vantage point of the throne of heaven, from God's advantage point, you have the ability to conquer him. And not in your own might, and not in your own power, and not in your own intellect. But you're using the very tools at your disposition. Listen, we conquer him first and foremost by the blood of Jesus Christ. I love that. The victory through and by the means of the life-giving, precious blood of Jesus Christ. That is our victory. 1 Peter 1.18 says that we were ransomed by the very blood of the Lamb. This blood of the Lamb was without blemish or spot. Jesus has won 
the victory of your past. Jesus has won the victory in your present. And Jesus has won the victory of your future yet to come. Therefore, you can live as free men and as free women. Enjoy your freedom in Jesus Christ. For that freedom was purchased by his blood and Satan can do nothing about it. Yes, he can rail against it, but he can never, never overturn all that Christ has accomplished for you through his shed blood on the cross. Secondly, you go on the offensive and you conquer Satan by your testimony. Now, your testimony in what? Your testimony in yourself? No. Your test, what you're testifying is that you are testifying by your actions. You're testifying by your mindset. You're testifying by how you go about living your life that you believe with great confidence all that the scriptures say about you in Jesus Christ. Did you get that? So that's the turning point in these spiritual battles. Yes, we stand firm, but we stand firm by saying we will no longer accept the lies of Satan about ourselves. But from this point forward, I am determined to know the word of God and to believe the word of God over my feelings to believe the word of God over my situation, to believe the word of God over all my failures, to believe the word of God more than I believe about myself. I stand firm in the promises of of God. In other words, I come to a place where I believe in the authority of scripture over my life. I believe in the inspiration of scripture over my life. I believe in the truthfulness of scripture despite all that I can perceive all around me. That is where the wind happens. Now, there's this great passage in Romans chapter 8. And I, I believe this is Paul. I mean, he's given, he's given basically the response that God probably would have given from heaven before the accusations of Satan. Look what Paul says in 8, beginning in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who? I mean, in other words, Satan, you can't bring any charge against anyone that I have loved. You can't bring any charge against anyone that I have saved, that I have redeemed. It, it, it makes no difference anymore. Right? Who shall bring any charge against God? Like, no one, including Satan. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn Who is to condemn? Satan can't condemn us. He can hurl accusations at us, but they are on false, uh, on deaf ears. Why? Because Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us at this very moment. Who shall separate us from the love of God? So so we we hear, do you hear that? So no condemnation, no charges can be hurled against us that God will accept. And you know why? Because his love for us knows no bounds. His love for us covers all of our failures, all of our sin, all of our frail moments. Right? He does it for us. What did Paul say in verse 35? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation? No. Or distress? No. Or persecution? No. Or famine? No. Or nakedness? No. Or danger? No. Or sword? No. Right? No, in all these things, we are more than what? Oh my gosh, 
we're more than conquerors. Isn't that what uh, Revelation chapter 12, verse 11 told us? That we are indeed conquerors? Oh my goodness, the, the scriptures are matching up. We are more than conquerors through him, through him, through Christ who loves us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so when Paul is speaking about these, these great places of great powers, these, these angels or rulers, he's talking about Satan himself. He's saying, not even Satan can drive a wedge between my love for my people. That no matter, no matter what is going on in your life, God's love for you, his mercy towards you, is always, always white, hot, consistent. At all times. At all times. And in all situations, his love does not change. His faithfulness is constant. His love for you is is obviously humbling. His mercies are renewed every single day for for you. First John chapter five, verse four says, we who are born of God overcomes the world, not by faith in ourselves, not by faith in, 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 um, in psychosis and education, not by, by faith in wealth, no, by faith in who? By faith in Christ, for he has overcome and he is our victory. Jesus says in John chapter 16, verse 33, to take heart when we are enduring trials and tribulations of of many kind because he has already overcome the world. And if he has already overcome the world, we cannot be shaken. So he says, but take heart, take heart that you may have peace. So this is where we come. This is our stand firm moment. This is our stand from on the offensive moment that no matter what accusations are placed before us, it matters not. The blood of Christ covers us and the love of God is for us. Lastly, you win the spiritual warfare by, by dying to self. The scripture says in Revelation 12, 11, they did not love their lives so much. In other words, seek God. Seek God first. Make him the center of your life. Be willing to be obedient to him at all costs. So, so that's how we are more than conquerors over our great enemy. We no longer have to take it on the chin anymore. We can take decisive matters in our hands, believing all that God has promised for us in Jesus Christ. This morning, if you find yourself overwhelmed by life, by grief, if you've come into this room this morning troubled in your spirit and that trouble in your spirit has been ongoing for a long time. It has nothing to do with what you ate the night before. It has everything to do with, with an enemy of yours trying to get you to not live out and believe that you are more <laughs> than conquerors. You see, folks, no matter what you're going through this morning, there is a reason. You may not like the reason, but the reason is this, is that you are greatly loved on one end and you're greatly hated on the other. But love, the love of God, always wins out. The hope that we have in Jesus Christ always wins out.
The mercy of God always wins out. So this morning, our our lives have full meaning. Even even when our lives are filled with, with tribulation and trials of all kind, our life has tremendous value and tremendous meaning. And I hope that you as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ can, can somehow grasp that so you can begin to leverage yourself from an angle and an attitude and a position of defeat to an attitude and to an angle and to a position of victory. Victory in Christ. More than conquerors you are. Now let me say this to those of you who may maybe in this room or maybe listening online this morning who may have never given your life to Jesus Christ. I hope that what you've heard me say today from this pulpit and what we've read from the scriptures can show you what Christ can do for you. There's nothing that you could have done that, you, that God cannot save you from. There's no sin that you've committed that God cannot redeem. If, you've, if you're hearing my voice this morning and you feel that no one has ever loved you, I can say this. There is a God who loves you more than words can begin to describe. And maybe you're here in this room and people have walked out on you, have turned their back on you, have betrayed you. All I can say is this, from the various scriptures and from my own personal encounter with God, he, has, he will never do that to you. He will never forsake you. He will always be there to help you, to heal you, and to give you hope. If this world is the worst that there will ever be in our life, I cannot wait for heaven. When, when no more accusations, no more tears, no more fears, no more grief, no more struggle, no more trial, no more tribulation. But until then, until then, we will come at this world not with great fear, not with great trembling, but knowing that we, in Jesus Christ, are more than conquerors. Let's pray together. Father, today, I I pray for those that, that might be in this room or online this morning. If you are one of those individuals that have never given your life to Christ, but this morning you're saying, you know what, I want to give my life to Jesus. How do I do that? Well, would you just pray with me in these these words and just repeat these words to yourself. Jesus, as much as I know you, come into my heart. I'm helpless against Satan without you in my life. I need you to save me. I need your salvation. So I ask you to come into my heart and my life and begin to change me. So, Father, those are, the, that's, those are the prayers that we've all prayed at some point as followers of you. That we've invited you to come into our life to, to restore what is broken, to redeem what was stolen, to heal that which within us and our sick souls we're in need of. Father, we thank you that, Lord, that through your word today, we have been shown that victory is ours because of Jesus Christ. That Jesus has defeated death on our behalf. He's defeated sin on our behalf. 
And through his death on the cross, we are set free. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your mercy that knows no end. Thank you for your power, not only to save, but your power to heal these wounds in our life caused by the, by the lies of the enemy. So, Father, today I pray that you would renew our understanding of who, you, who we are in Jesus. And may we just allow your Holy Spirit to move in our lives to the place where we are men and women who are fully obedient to you. So, Father, as we come to this last song this morning, may this just be our anthem cry to you. That you are a God who completely is in love with us and a God who has the ability to save. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Northbridge Church Podcast. If you'd like more information about Northbridge Church, you can find us online at mynorthbridge.org.